May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father, from his Son, his only Son, our Epiphany King. Amen. Who is Naaman? A Syrian, a general, a hero. The truth is that in this point in our world's history, we don't really want to put those three words together, not with the ongoing strife in the Middle East. But this is Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. He is a mighty man of valor. He is brave, favored, important. Naaman has status because he has led the Syrian army to victory, victory even over Israel. But he has leprosy. He has leprosy, but his wife has a slave girl, a young Israelite carried away in a military raid. Now, this wasn't unusual. This has happened all around the world. Sadly, it's happening again here in Africa with multiple kidnappings by Boko Haram in Nigeria. Naaman has leprosy. And any doctors of any kind have failed to discover any cure for this skin disease. But this little girl knows that the husband of her mistress is ill with no relief, with no hope of restored health. Yet she is bold. Though she is far from her home, she remembers. She remembers a servant of Yahweh. So she says to Mrs. Naaman, I know someone who can help the general. His name is Elisha. He is the true God's prophet in Samaria. Now, I remind you that a prophet's role is not primarily to predict the future. A prophet in God's word is to speak out the word of God, to be the voice of the Lord at a certain time in a certain situation for certain people. And this is exactly what happens in today's Old Testament reading. Mrs. Naaman listens to the servant girl, and Mrs. Naaman speaks to her husband. She tells him what the servant girl told her. And maybe she adds, I know it's a strange idea, but nothing else has worked. You want to be well. I want you to be well. What harm could there be in pursuing this possibility? Naaman agrees. He's desperate. So maybe, just maybe, this strange suggestion should be checked out. He goes to the king. He has high favor before the king of Syria. And he says to him, Your majesty, I have a request. I want to make a journey, not to go into battle, but to visit a man my wife's slave girl tells me can cure my illness. To which the king replies, go, by all means, go. I will even write an official letter from one king to another. And take along a huge amount of gold and silver. The the amount in American dollars or in Kenyan shillings would be just so huge. Take along a bunch of free clothes, too, as a gift to say thank you. So Naaman packs and prepares for the journey. I imagine that this was an impressive caravan heading southwest from Syria. 
Naaman has been sent by the king. He has a significant mission, and he probably needs at least ten chariots to carry all this money and all these clothes. So where does the caravan go? To the king of Israel. Perhaps Naaman forgot to ask the Israelite slave girl for the address of Elisha the prophet. And maybe the directions weren't available on their non-existent Google apps on their smartphones. The entourage shows up not at Elisha's, but at the king's palace. And Naaman presents to him the letter from the king of Syria. What does it say? This is verse 6 of our text. When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. To which the king of Israel responds, What? Why? Who? How? Clearly there's been a misunderstanding. Did Naaman not get the message straight from his wife? Did Naaman not tell thus and so accurately to the Syrian king? Now, in the middle of this drama, I find some things that are amusing. But the king of Israel doesn't think this is one of them. He says, how am I supposed to do this? I'm not God. I'm glad he knows that. I can't kill or raise or take away the leprosy of this Syrian general or anyone else. I think the king of Israel is trying to start a fight. If I don't cure Naaman, he'll probably come and attack me. What am I supposed to do? And the king rips his clothes as a sign of dismay and despair. Now somehow, Elisha hears what is going on. We're not told exactly how he learns, but somehow the man of God learns about the upset king and his torn robes. So he sends a message to the king of Israel. Why have you torn your clothes, O king? Why are you so upset? Naaman has gone to the wrong place, to the wrong man. Send him to me so that he may learn that there is a prophet of God in Israel. The king must have breathed a huge sigh of relief. And then he gives orders to Naaman to take his caravan of horses and chariots and servants to the house of Elijah. I'll say it again. Though there is plenty of drama in this story, there is a fair bit of humor. Keep listening. The impressive procession heads from the palace to the home of the prophet Elisha. Naaman jumps out of his chariot with eagerness and expectation. He runs up to and knocks on the door and stands there waiting for Elisha to appear. The door opens and it's the man of God. No, it's one of his servants. It's a messenger who delivers a message to General Naaman. Elisha says, Go over to the Jordan River, wash yourself seven times, 
then your leprosy will be restored. You shall be clean. But instead of being elated, instead of being excited, Naaman is angry. He turns away from the messenger with disgust. What is this? I travel all the way from Syria. I finally get to the right place. And this is how I get treated? A mere messenger? I thought that this prophet would meet me face to face, that he would call on the name of the Lord his God, that he would wave his hand in some powerful, magical way, particularly over my skin. And this is what I get. The command to take a bath in the muddy Jordan River. If I was supposed to bathe in a river, I could have done this back home and our cold and swift rivers, that's what those names mean, our rivers are far better than this low and slow Jordan. Sputtering with rage, Naaman turns away and heads back to his chariot, ready to climb in and begin the trip back to Syria. But Naaman's servants intervene. Wasn't it a servant girl who started this whole chain of events? They approach him with courage. I think that they've had to deal with the general's anger before. And they say, Sir, Father, listen to what the prophet told you. If he would have asked you to do something difficult, you certainly would have done it. But his great word is really quite simple. He's just told you to take a quick bath in the Jordan. And you're right, we know that the Abana and the Farpar are better rivers. But why not go to the Jordan and do what Elisha has asked of you? Naaman agrees, maybe with a reluctant shrug of his shoulders, and they drive the chariots down to the Jordan River. He strips off his clothes and bathes seven times. Perhaps he dunks himself under the water of the Jordan, but the Jordan isn't really very deep in most places. Or perhaps he simply pours water over his head seven times. And it works. His leprosy disappears. His flesh is restored. And this is how it's written. His skin is as smooth, as perfect as that of a little child, a little baby, a newborn, a young one. You know, it's so clean and unblemished. Then Naaman doesn't waste any time. He puts his clothes back on. He runs to the chariots and gives orders to return to the home of Elisha. They know the address now. With all of his servants around him, this time he is greeted by the prophet, and Naaman exclaims, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. This is Matthew 8, today's gospel come true, that there are those from the east and the west, many who will be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. And that's the end of the story or as much of it as I'm going to retell this morning. But I'll just add this. I wonder what kind of celebration there was when Naaman arrived home, and how the Naaman family treated the slave girl who said, I know someone who can cure him.
But that's not the most important question today. Here it is. What healed Naaman? Was it the holier water of the Jordan River instead of the water of some pagan river? No, it wasn't the water. So what was it? Naaman wanted something impressive. He wanted something spectacular. Hands and arms waving a powerful prayer by the prophet. But it was the word. It was the word God delivered through Elisha to Naaman. The power was in the word. Go, wash, you will be clean. God used the word, his word, to heal Naaman of leprosy. That's why this story is such a perfect way for us to discover and delight in what God does in baptism with simple water, but with his strong word. With this, God does great things. He cleanses us. He calls us. He clothes those whose clothes are ripped with shame and guilt. He clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. He does so when he connects us to the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is true because we are like Naaman. We are sick. We are sick with sin. And all of our efforts to cure this disease will fail, for this illness is fatal for you, for me, for everyone. We are desperate. We should be desperate under the law's deadly condemnation because the wage sin pays is death. And we are stubborn. Like Naaman, we want God to do something spectacular. We want an Elisha to show up and perform some dramatic action. And if he gives an order and says, go down to the muddy water by the dam here at your school, we'd say, no, there are clearer rivers at Mount Kenya. There are clearer rivers in Finland and in Canada because we too would be distracted and not know that the power is in the word. But we are also like the man who listened to his servants and received the command of God. When the pastor servants of our Lord Jesus, when they pour water and speak the triune name, then we are then we are sinners made to be saints. Then we make our confession. There is no God in all the earth but the Father who calls us his dearly loved children and the Son who got soaking wet in the Jordan absorbing our sin so that his righteousness could become our righteousness righteousness and the Holy Spirit who breathes faith into our hearts so that we can confess Jesus is Lord, or to use the name of the man of God in Samaria, Elisha, which means my God saves. In his mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve. In his grace, 
He gives us what we do not deserve. He saves us by his own death at Golgotha, by shedding his holy and precious blood and bursting in victory from the tomb, the dark and cold tomb on the third day. On Friday morning, we prayed for a man named Andrew in our morning devotion. I told my, excuse me, I told my students, I told those men a little bit more about this story in our class. His name is Andrew. He is a Lutheran pastor in the state of Iowa in the United States. I don't know him, but my son-in-law, John David, and my youngest daughter, Michaela, do. Andrew and John David were classmates at seminary in St. Louis. And my son-in-law sent me this text on Thursday night. It is with a heavy heart that we learn today that I have weeks or months to live. New medical trials do not look promising. And if I have, have, if I have little time with Tiffany, his wife, I wish to feel as well as possible for those moments. I do not embrace death. It is an enemy in God's world. But the Bible also describes those connected to Christ and away from him as sleeping. After 10-plus years of dealing with cancer and surgeries and depression, I embrace the rest of Christ. Jesus died, but he came back to life. I was incorporated into his death and his resurrection on my baptism day, December 20th, 1990. I will die soon, but I will rise too. If you have not been embraced by Jesus in holy baptism, take it from a dying man. It's all I have to lean on right now. Baptism. It's all I have to lean on. We sang as we began God's own child, I gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. Death, you cannot end my gladness. I am baptized into Christ. When I die, I leave all sadness. There is nothing worth comparing to this lifelong comfort. Sure, open-eyed, my grave is staring. Even there, I'll sleep secure. Though my flesh awaits its raising, still my soul continues praising. I am baptized into Christ. I'm a child of paradise. We are newborn children of the Heavenly Father. Our hearts and souls are cleansed with the forgiveness of Christ. The prophet told Naaman, you shall be clean. The word, the strong word of God tells us, you are clean. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.